This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. The scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Good morning. I am Pastor Brad. I'm the uh, transitional lead pastor here, and I am delighted to be here. And I, I don't know about this 10 to 20 degree weather with no snow, but if this is winter in Alaska, I am loving this. This is beautiful. What do you think? Is it? This is it? Okay, good. Hey, um, during the, uh, the uh, month of December, we're going to be preaching a series of sermons about uh, the gift, the indescribable gift, and we're looking for stories of, of uh, folks from the congregation of maybe a childhood memory or a particular experience around the Christmas uh, time frame where you experienced either God's gift or some sort of gift that uh, changed everything for you. So you'll notice in your worship guide there's an insert that looks like this. It's got two gifts on the top, and uh, we have a couple of ways that you can interact with us. One is, if you have a great story and you want us to hear it, you can go to my story at communitycovenant.net and just write uh, your story to us, and we'll, we'll uh, get in touch with you about uh, whether or not we can use that during the next few weeks. If you don't have access to a computer or you don't like to write on the computer, which I would find hard to believe, but um, you can also give us kind of the highlights of your story right here on this card and drop it in the offering plate. Or if you have a great story but you don't want to waste any time today telling us about it, you can just give us your name and your phone number or email address, and we will be in touch with you directly about your story. Now, um, if all you know, 700 of you give us our story, we're not going to be able to use all of them, um, but we want to hear um, some stories from you. So in the next few weeks, if you wouldn't mind being in touch with us, again, at mystory at communitycovenant.net. Thank you. Well, I don't know if you caught the uh, title of the sermon today in your worship guide. Uh, if you did um, and you're still here, then I'm really happy about that because sometimes, they, sometimes people come in, peruse the sermon and say, oh, this is a stewardship sermon, I'm out of here. Uh, but you're still here, so I'm glad about that. And indeed, this is a stewardship sermon, sort of. Um, it's really a sermon that is about something much larger having to do with what it means for us to share our life together. You know, we've been on this, this, uh, this journey of talking about life together, and it would be, uh, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about this aspect of what our life together looks like. So today, um, with no further ado, I want to reflect with you and you with me on this passage of Scripture that uh, was read for us a moment ago. It's a, it's a familiar passage. You probably have heard it 
uh, many, many times. Maybe you've heard Pastor Mark Meredith preach from this text. I, you know, I don't know. Um, but it's really a, a passage that's not as much about stewardship, but it's a passage that's about generosity. And uh, so I really want to focus on, on kind of the generosity side of this um, story rather than kind of the arm twisting, you know, reach deeper in your pocket. Because the moment I started this sermon, some of you were already pushing your wallets a little deeper. I, you know, I, got, I saw that. But, um, um, so let's, let's, uh, let's, let's consider uh, what it means to both share life together and at the same time um, lead a life of generous living. Shall we? Let's pray together. God, I, I pray that you uh, continue to be at work in the life of this con- uh, congregation. I pray for transformation. I pray that people who, who, who uh, showed up here today and were expecting something, uh, that they get what they were expecting. They get, uh, they get an encounter with you. Uh, I, God, I pray that in all of our lives, including mine, that you would help us to live more generous lives, whatever that might look like for us. Thank you. Thank you for, for answering our prayers and being at work in us, even, even now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So here we have in this story, Jesus observing this widow, this poor widow, um, the text says, as she places her money into the offering. And, and as Jesus observes her doing this, he sees this. He seizes on this uh, opportunity to, to have a teaching moment with his disciples. And for those of you who have children or who have had children, you know what teaching moments are and you know why they're important. Because sometimes an opportunity comes along to teach something very important to your kids, like don't stick your finger in the outlet. That's a good time for a teaching moment about, you know, electricity or whatever. Uh, And Jesus sees this poor widow placing her offering in the offering plate and he says, this is the time I uh, I want to say something to my disciples. He watches, on the other hand, the, the religious folks, the religious leaders, the, the spiritual people among uh, his day. And he says that this poor widow, and you heard it read a minute ago, has put in more than all of those religious folks, for they all contributed, and this is what he says, out of their abundance. They all contributed out of their abundance, but she contributed out of her poverty. And she put in all that she had. You see, what Jesus is contrasting in this, in this very short passage is two kinds of givers. He's contrasting the giver, the generous person for sure, who gives because they have an abundance of resources to give from. And he's pointing out this other kind of generosity, a generosity that is based in sacrifice. So there's the giver that gives because they have resources coming out of their ears to be able to give. And you have the givers that give that don't have two nickels to rub together, yet they do it, and they do it for a different reason. They do it out of sacrifice. Not unlike the sacrifice that Mike was talking about a minute ago, Mike Baca. The context for this comment comes right on the heels of the preceding chapter in the Luke's Gospel, and we're not going to have time to look at that today. But in that, if you were to read that on your own time, you would see that Jesus spares no criticism for the rich 
uh, in chapter 20 of Luke, who loved their kind of their visible displays of wealth, and 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 they equally loved to kind of flaunt their generosity in front of each other and in front of anybody who would watch as as part of their religious piety to to prove how generous and how blessed they were by God. They, They had this idea, and sometimes we have this idea too, that the more we have in terms of physical resources, it's it's a it's an expression that that they had been blessed by God more than others. Their their obedience led to to greater blessing. For Jesus, it's really one thing to be generous when, when generosity doesn't even come close to the substance out of which one gives. And it's quite another thing to be generous when you really can't afford it. But you give anyway, like this widow, as an act of obedience and, and get this, and a desire to exhibit, to, to model, to, to express the character of God in your life. You see the difference between those, those two kinds of generosity? Generosity that is based in abundance doesn't require us to consider all that much. We've got the money. Why not give a little of it? I mean, that's how lots of church people think. I, 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 I know that because I've thought that myself. Generosity that is based in our abundance doesn't require us really to be all that intentional about it. We, we, we walk by the Salvation Army bucket here as the, as the ringer is ringing the bell and we reach in our pocket and we place our change, our small change into the bucket and we walk away feeling kind of good about ourselves. But our generosity is not based in the serious intention to, to, to help the poor. It's, we're just as happy to get rid of the loose change as anything. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Generosity based in our abundance. But generosity that is based in sacrifice is a different animal altogether. Generosity that's based in sacrifice requires us to be intentional rather than just sort of haphazard and spontaneous, if you will. Although, you know, haphazard and spontaneous giving is better than no giving. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But generosity that is based in sacrifice usually, in my experience, impacts some other aspect of our lives, doesn't it? We may have to wait another year before we trade in our car. We may not be able to take that vacation until next year. We, we may not be able to put on that addition on our house or buy that new hot tub or whatever it is that we want to do with our, with our resources until the next bonus check comes in next quarter. What Jesus is doing in this story is he's pointing out that the widow in this story gave out of a sense of generosity that is based in sacrifice rather than generosity that is based in her abundance. And so should we. Now this is the story of the widow's might, as the, the Bible calls it. It's not an overly complicated story, but there's there's kind of a number of layers in this story that we might miss if we're not careful. One one of the layers of this story is that's troubling for me is because just like you, I I, um, I don't really like talking about money that much in church. In fact, you haven't heard me talk about it until now. 
Well, I, I take that back. Uh, that's not exactly true. I, I don't mind talking about it, but I'm not really interested in trying to convince you that what you do with your assets, either inside or outside Community Covenant Church, is any of my business, because it really isn't. On the other hand, as, as I read the Scriptures, it's hard for me to read very far, in the, in the New Testament especially, before I bump in to another passage where Jesus talks about its money and its relationship to Christian discipleship. You can't read very far before you, do, before you run into that. In fact, truth be told, Jesus talks about money in the New Testament more than any other subject matter that he addresses. This passage that we've just read makes me feel a little uncomfortable because I know that for most of us, we're quite attached, really, to our material possessions, which includes our bank accounts and our mutual funds and our IRAs and our stocks and our bonds and our real property and our vacation homes and our cars and our trucks and our guns and our clothes and our entertainment and our big screen TVs. And if we are honest with each other for a moment... We don't really wish, either today or any time, to be persuaded to part with any of that stuff. I mean, it took us a while to accumulate it. We worked hard. We earned it. And we don't want to be persuaded either by Jesus or by some haranguing transitional pastor that we should do anything with that stuff. The point of the story, as I can tell, is, is pretty obvious. And... And to be as direct as I possibly can be, and I apologize for that if you're not used to it, Jesus approves of those who give away more than they think they can afford to. Jesus Jesus approves of those who give away more than they think they can afford. The rich give out of their abundance, their surplus, their disposable income, And the poor give out of the two nickels that they rub together in their pocket. I recently saw an interview on uh, the Stephen Colbert show. And for those of you who don't know who Stephen Colbert is, just ask somebody in their 20s or teens and they'll tell you. That's their primary source of news and information, in case you're wondering. Um, But I saw uh, Colbert interview uh, Melinda Gates wife of Bill Gates, of the Gates uh, Foundation, and of the Microsoft Fortune. And uh, uh, Colbert looked at Ms. Gates and he said, I understand that you and Bill have decided to give away 90% of your assets, which, are, which is billions of dollars. I mean, it's a huge amount of money. It would boggle your mind. And she smiled and she nodded her head, you know, to say, yes, that's true. That's what we've decided to do. And Colbert leans forward in only a a way that Stephen Colbert can do. And he he asks in a very low voice, he said, Melinda, are you sure your kids will be able to live on the $2 billion that are left over after you and Bill give away all the rest? Jesus points out that the widow gives from what little she has And he says, this, this is a better way to understand what generous living looks like. We may not understand 
completely, the principle behind Jesus' teaching here. We may not feel comfortable even reading this text and thinking about it in relationship to our own uh, discipleship. We might even be flat out mad that Jesus said this because it, it confronts us in an area of our lives that we don't want to deal with. Whatever the case may be, because Jesus approves with the fact that this widow gave more than she thought she could afford, we probably should pay attention to that. Well, I grew up in a, in a suburb of Seattle in a house that was built in the 1950s. It was a one-story rambler. It had 1,100 square feet. I am a child of the 60s and the 70s. Uh, if it's not already obvious to you, the, you know, the decade of the 70s had the best rock music of any decade ever. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> My family were, um, uh, had modest means. Um, probably at that time we would have been considered middle class or maybe even lower middle class. It's, it's hard for me to assess now this many years later. My dad was a middle manager for Pacific Car and Foundry, which was a manufacturing company that basically made railroad uh, uh, cars. And they also had some military uh, industrial uh, contracts with the government at that time as well. Uh, my mom was a homemaker. Money in my family was always tight. Always. And on more than one occasion, uh, my mom would go back to work to help cover the costs that, that sort of exceeded what my dad made in a pay period so that my sister and I could have braces and pay for piano lessons and sometimes pay down the medical bills that kind of had gotten out of hand in our, in our family. You know, I didn't think too much about this as a kid growing up because when I needed a new pair of, of, of basketball shoes, they figured out a way to buy them for me. When I wanted to go to camp, my parents figured out a way how to pay for me to go to camp. One Saturday when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I was helping my dad wash his car. And he opened the trunk, and I noticed in the trunk of his car was filled with all kinds of janitorial supplies, mops, brooms, cleaning solutions, all kinds of stuff. And I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, what is this stuff? What's this for? And the look on my father's face told me that he wished I had not have seen what I had just seen in the trunk of his car. And he looked at me and he said, uh, Son, I have a second job. I, I, I moonlight. I, I didn't know what that meant at the time. But after you go to bed at night, I... Um, I go back and I um, am a janitor in a couple of buildings to help pay the bills. And I remember thinking to myself, how does he do this? He, he goes to work all day, he comes home, he spends dinner with his family, just like uh, every normal uh, suburban family in the 60s and 70s did back then. He spends time with his kids, and later in the evening he participated in the bedtime ritual, whether it was reading a book or tucking us in or whatever, and then he goes back to work as a janitor. But there was never a time in my childhood where I felt poor. 
In fact, most of the time, I felt like we had as much as everybody else. And I like the way my professor, Peter Gomes from Harvard, uh, describes it. He says this, By no means was my family wealthy when I was growing up. My parents, uh, for my parents' poverty was a means uh, of an attitude to be overcome by wealth of spirit. Let me say that again. For my parents' poverty of means was an attitude to be overcome by wealth of spirit. We were rich. We just didn't have very much money. That's me. We were rich in suburban Seattle in the 1960s, but we didn't have very much money. And you know something? Because I grew up in my family system, I didn't learn really how to be generous. They were generous of heart, for sure. They, they wanted to be. But I learned how to be generous from my wife. Throughout my college years, I gave pretty much on impulse. If I went to church and I heard a, 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 a preacher speak compellingly about money, I would reach in my pocket. Instead of pulling out one bill, I would pull out two. Which, you know, don't misunderstand me. Instead of one dollar, it was two dollars. I wanted to be generous. I really wanted to, but I never seemed like there was enough left over at the end of the paycheck for me to give anything away. I'd grown up just like my parents. I was generous in spirit, but when it came down to my own practice of generosity, I was more like the religious folks in Jesus' parable, justifying why I couldn't give more than I was like the widow who gave out of her sacrifice. And then I met my wife, Roxy, <laughs> and that all changed. She, she learned early in her life that the first portion of her berry-picking income from summer work was set aside for God. And as she graduated from berry-picking to the higher-paying jobs, whatever they were, the habit of giving didn't change. And then when we met and fell in love and married and piled all of our worldly possessions into a 1976 Honda Civic, do you remember those? They're like they were little tiny things. They were like matchbox cars. We piled everything that we owned in that car and we drove to seminary in Chicago in preparation for a life of self-imposed poverty. We knew it. And we both worked part-time jobs while we were in school. And when we received our first paycheck, I'm thinking to myself, let's go out to dinner. And my wife says, no, wait, we're going we're gonna to write a check to God, to our church. I couldn't believe that she was going to do this. We didn't have that much money. We didn't have the money to give away that right off the top. Here we were. We were poor students, I reasoned. So there I was, a theological student, preparing to become a pastor, arguing with my young wife why we were exempt from being generous. And as a result of that pattern of giving that my wife taught me, there have been a number of times in our lives where we've had to forego completely paying off one of our bills because of our commitment to continue to practice generosity as the first thing that we do and as an expression of our desire to follow Jesus. Over the years, as our income has increased, it's become easy for us, easier for us to live because there's more money left over for us to live on. But the occasional unexpected challenge will come along and we will have to sit down and recommit ourselves to the practice of generous living all over again. Just when we think we've got it beat, 
something comes up and we've got we've to rethink it. Now, I'm telling you this not to brag or to make you feel sorry for my modest upbringing or anything like that. I'm telling you this in order that you can see that there is no magic formula for living a generous life, even for pastors. There's no magic formula for meeting the challenge and the challenges that we face to be generous with our resources. Just like the widow who gave out of her non-disposable income, we have had to reflect on many occasions of the importance of giving, not just as a, a function of being a responsible member of a church, and that's a lot of reasons why some of you give, which is not a bad reason, but it's not, it's not what Jesus is talking about. But more importantly, we've had to reflect on our giving because of what it's saying about us in relationship to wanting to be followers of Jesus. So how do we get there? How, how do we get from the place that we're sitting at right here, right now, to this kind of place of generous living? Um, the first step, I think, to living a generous life is is focusing our, our attention on God. It's learning to love God and learning what that means for us. We, we've, we've got to find that sweet spot, whatever, wherever that may be, where as we begin to live generously, we know that it's, that it's a direct expression of our love for God. Roxy and I give both because we are devoted followers of Jesus and as such we believe that Jesus not only requests our hearts and our minds and our souls, but Jesus also requests to have access to our wallets. We believe that. Just like our love for one another, she and I can't simply be expressed by words, but must be followed in some tangible way so our love for God is expressed by our willingness to seek ways to give ourselves away. And it isn't always easy. We've had to make difficult decisions in our lives. The kinds of vacations that we take, the kinds of cars that we drive, the number of gifts that we give one another at Christmas and at birthdays. Our decision to love God and follow Jesus means that there's nothing that we own, there's nothing that we have that is exempt from God's kingdom. And, and, and if what God is asking us and asking of us begins to pinch us a little bit in our standard of living, so be it. If our love for God didn't pinch us in other places, one could wonder, one could wonder how serious that love for God is to begin with. So the first pathway to generous living is to give as an expression of our love for God. The second path to generous living is to live simply. Roxy and I have made a conscious decision to live simply by American standards, 
We don't open an electric, we don't own an electric can opener when a manual can opener works just fine. Uh, you know, if you own an electric can opener, don't worry, that's no big deal. But you see what I'm saying? There's a lot of stuff in our lives that where they, they try to, uh, prove to us that our life would be easier and more convenient. Electric can over requires you to do this, you know, four or five times rather than do this. That's a decision that we've made, and that's just an example. Living simply means that instead of comparing our standard of living to those who live at a higher standard of living than, uh, than us, and there's lots of people out there who do, but it's recognizing that we live in the top 2% of the world's populations when it comes to wealth. You see, we'll always be able to justify our desire to have a little bigger house, a little more money, a little nicer vacation, a little newer car, if we're looking over our shoulder and looking at the people who drive nicer stuff than we do. We'll always be able to do that. <laughs> Recently, we, we were living in a home, a very comfortable home, a 3,500 square foot comfortable home, just so you know, in Seattle. We didn't own it. Um, and uh, it was a really lovely neighborhood, and it had way more room than we knew what to do with. And one day, one of our kids came home from school, and he said to us, You know, Mom, how come we're so poor all the time? And my wife, being very astute and seeing a teaching moment here, said to my child who asked this, um, You know, what, what makes you think that we're poor? I mean, look at the house we're living in, look at the neighborhood, look at the life that we have. What makes you think we're poor? And, and my son said, well, all of my friends have their own flat screen TV in their bedrooms, and we only have one flat screen TV in our family room. You see what I mean? Our decision to live simply is a matter of perspective. Yet we must continually, we must continually fight the urge to, to look at what our neighbors have and wonder, why can't we have that too? And by choosing to adopt a life of simplicity, we're hoping, well not hoping, we know that we will find joy in ways that we would never be able to know if we were distracted by all of the gadgets and all of the stuff. We love God. As an expression of our love for God, we live generously. And then we, we live simply. And finally, we want to live generously in ways that bless the people around us and bless the community. So the third pathway to generous living is, is actually doing it, living generously. I recently attended a workshop on, uh, on generosity called Generosity. And, and the take-home for me from that workshop was that all of us want to lead generous lives. So if I was to have the opportunity to talk to each of you personally about this topic, I would assume that you would say to me, yeah, I want to be generous. And, and we all want to be generous. The problem is, is that we often don't know how to do it. We've grown up in a family like mine that I've described for you on the edge of poverty and, and we're generous as an afterthought and we don't know any other way to live. But learning to live generously can't happen by accident. We, we, we cannot will ourselves to, to wake up one day and begin to, to live generously. 
It doesn't work that way. A life of, of generosity begins with our love for God, and there, there's no getting over the fact that our love for God will ask us to give more than we think we can afford. That's what it does. And if that's not enough, if that's not a big enough challenge, if we want to live generously, we must begin to examine our lifestyle and ask ourselves, how, how, how can we simplify our lives so that we have time and, and money to give away? For some, simplicity might mean uh, foregoing some things that you really enjoy. Because living more simply involves always involves something else in our life, right? It really doesn't matter how we simplify our lives, and so I don't want you to get stuck on that. What matters is the reason why we, we, we desire to simplify our lives is because we love God. Roxy and I have discovered that living generously brings us joy and a profound sense of satisfaction. There, there, there might have been a time once where, where we worried about the impact of, of our generous living and it might have on our, on our present lifestyle. Now we assume that being generous is going to impact our lifestyle. And the trade-off, get this, the trade-off is, is worth it. It's worth it. Now, I have approached this, this sermon today in a very personal and sort of transparent way, not because I'm trying to, to show off to you, but because I believe that there are many here who desire to lead generous lives and are just afraid uh, that it might mean that you end up in the poorhouse if you start to be generous. And I want you to know that my wife and I are living proof that it's possible to live generously and still enjoy a rich and varied life. In a more crass way, if, if, if I can be generous, anyone can be generous. Now, I have not tried to be manipulative with you this morning. I'm, I'm not trying to arm twist you so that you sort of begrudgingly give more money in the offering today. Um, that's really not my interest. Um, I'm more interested in, in encouraging you toward deeper discipleship and a life of generosity rather than a short-term blip, you know, for today or for a week or maybe a month until you kind of revert back to your old ways. I'm trying to, to, to point out to you that what Jesus had to say about this poor widow might be something that could be of value to us. So let me conclude by asking you something. Will you sit down either today or sometime this week and ask yourself this simple question, and here it is, does my practice of generosity reflect my love for God? And if your answer is yes, then you know exactly what I've been talking about this morning. You know, don't you? But if your answer is no, if, if you ask that question and you, and you can honestly say to yourself, no, my generosity does not currently match the expression of my love for God, then here's the second question. 
that I want you to ask God. God, will you help me to bring my generous living more in line with my love for you? You see, we can say that we love God all we want. We can be committed to the task of, of life together. But if we only give out of our abundance, then, then we're missing the true joy that accompanies a life of generosity. P- please don't settle for that, whatever that life is. Don't settle for a life that doesn't experience all of the richness and joy that God has to offer you. Because there is a life that God is calling you to that is rich. And when we understand that, we will know exactly what it felt like for that generous widow that day. So God has given us this incredible gift in Jesus and all of the things that we enjoy in our lives around us, whether we recognize it or not. And all that God asks of us is that we be prepared to give a portion of that gift away. The widow understood that. And as a a result, she stands as a model for followers of Jesus to, to seek to emulate for all time. What would it look like if if we decided to live like that widow? What would the impact be, not only on our lives, but on this community and this state and the world? I I shudder to think what God could do. Will you join me in seeking to understand and to discover, hopefully, the joy of generous living like this widow understood. Let's pray. Yeah, God, uh, I wasn't expecting this sermon on the second Sunday in November, especially from the transitional guy. God, would you, would you help me, would you help us as a congregation to be increasingly inspired by the life of this widow, perhaps even to the degree that we do something about our own practice of generous living. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let me just... um, if If the goal of generous living is to be here, and... If you're standing here, it's really hard to get from here to here overnight. But if the goal of generous living is to be on the top step, I would encourage you to just take one step at a time. Discover how to love God more. Figure out what in your life you don't need to have. And then finally, start giving stuff away. God bless you as you seek to do that.